Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. As long as it's all good, we want to welcome you to The House That Happens, the only place to be in suburban Etobicoke, sponsored by Shuey's Bar and Grill, who have become a firm sponsor for Mark Fury, running for mayor of Ontario. Hi, my name is Cruz. And I'm Andrew Milani. And we're here to talk about the insidious, insane, and iconic things that make us love this games we call sports. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good yourself. This is uh, actually sorry. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Please tell us. Uh, what we're... No, I was just going to say this is uh, an episode. This was previously recorded. Okay, uh, that's cool. We should say that. Yeah. We don't want to have anybody fooled now, right? No, of course not. Okay. Uh, and we just had this one in the can just in case one of us can make it uh, one week. And uh, this is uh, going to be a topic show. Exactly. And you know how Andrew is with the women. Sometimes I got to let him go because, you know, when you have a, a stable like he does, I understand why you're going to be busy on the weekend. Got it, buddy? Well, I mean, I'm just going camping. So. Oh, okay. I, I had other <laughs> ideas. In any event, um, what, the reason we're talking about uh, topic shows, and we will be doing this in the future, is because we're both such huge sports lovers, we tend to argue about the, the tendencies, the structures, the foundations, the history of all things that go on in the great big wide world of sports, especially here in North America. Yes, Okay. And, uh, you know, sports, obviously, they're kind of always changing, especially at the professional level. Where, Evolution? You know, yeah. And, and, of course, there's the influx of money, which, you know. Oh, that, uh, we've been seeing <laughs> that in the common day. But I came up with this theory, and Andrew decided to come along with it. So we, I have decided that I've, got, I've picked out three people, and I seriously believe that these three people are the ones that have seriously changed the foundation, the structure, and even the quality of the games I like so much. And these people are Jacques Lemaire in the hockey world, Theo Epstein in the baseball world, and Steph Curry in the basketball world. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Fairly or unfairly, directly or indirectly, uh, kind of changing their games for the better or worse. Okay, so I'm going to go a lot of worse here because what I'm going to say is this, is that we're going to start off is that I'm going to have to give you a little preclude here. Full disclosure, everybody knows I'm a Habs disciple. The house that happens um, is keeps Habs on the tabs. And oh, you got that little uh, dyslexic... Uh Tabs on oh, the tabs. Oh, tabs <laughs> Yeah. In any event, before we're going to do, because maybe I'm not always going to shine a light on Jacques Lemaire in a manner that people that know that what a devout disciple I am. And I have to say this. Jacques Lemaire did score one of the most important goals in the history of the Montreal Canadiens, considering he's a guy that won eight cups in 12 years when he was playing. Yeah. So there's things that happen over the years. I remember the 68-69 Stanley Cup champions. I was 8, 9, 10 years old. But what particularly changed it, and my father, bless his soul, I said he had gave the karma to do it, is back in 1971, when I was 12 years old, I was living in Pembroke, Ontario. There was only two channels. There was no remote controls. You had to get up. You know, those stories about walking 10 oh, yeah. miles in the snow and all that BS. But in any event, because we were there, Mom had a TV in the bedroom that Dad said it was the seventh game and understanding how much of a fan I was was might as well put the hockey game on let son watch this game seven we had already beaten the boston bruins in the first round where bobby Orr, i think won the scoring race and that was where phil esposito scored 76 goals ken dryden was the rookie goaltender who went on to win the con smite trophy mm -hmm. after playing only 20 games in the nhl but to get back to jock lemaire it was game seven against uh, once again another team that was heavily favored the chicago blackhawks including the late great bobby hall the late great stan makita pat stapleton bill white and the late great goaltender tony esposito by the way mr milani he had 16 shutouts do you think that record ever will be beaten 
Oh boy, probably not. Not in this day and age. And That's he was a 11, lot. Sixteen shutouts in nineteen seventy-one. So these guys were the prohibitive favorites to beat the Montreal Canadiens in the finals. Even though we had gotten there, we were still not the favorites. In any event, it was Game Seven, late in the second period. Montreal was down two nothing. My father, being the smartass that he was, is pulled a couple of Kleenex out and came over and put them on my knee. Because he was figuring if Case Montreal was going to lose, he didn't want to see me crying. I don't think it was one minute, and you can check this out on YouTube. One minute after he put that Kleenex on my knee, Jock Lemaire came over center ice and before the blue line, ripped a slap shot. Tony Esposito didn't even move. Holy. Didn't even move. Puck was in the corner, red light on. I brushed the Kleenex off my knee, looked at my dad, what was going on. And, of course, what happened in the third period, Henri Richard did two famous deking goals. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen the picture? Keith Magson's jocks going around his head. Um, um, Bill White looks like he's going in the wrong direction, and Montreal won the Stanley Cup, and that's the story about Jock Lemaire. However, the evolution of this man's career has certainly affected the game of hockey, don't you think? Well, of course. So I guess we should mention that he retired from the game very early as a player, yes, at least from did. the NHL. Yes, he did. Then he went to Switzerland to become a player coach. Yes, he did. At and, the at the which was not big money. What no. did he get? It was about seventy five, a hundred thousand dollars a year. Something like that. But uh, like blew uh, me away when I seen the number. Yeah, and then he just said like he just wanted to change. You know, like, I don't know if he was bored of what was going on, too many cups in a row. You know, I don't I mean, know. I don't know how do you get bored <laughs> with winning. I don't know, but you're right. You he might, might have also seen kind of the writing on the wall that the era was over because Ken Dryden also had retired too. Yes, yep. yep. And, and uh, I mean, 79, I want to say the Habs, like, had kind of a good, not great regular season, but really turned it, up, turned it on when they needed it most. And yes, yep. It wasn't the best yeah. regular season of the four in a no. row that they'd won the Stanley Cup. The worst of them, in oh, fact. We, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, in 78, how do you top that season? No, 70, 77, 78, those are like all-time great seasons. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. But in any event, as you're saying, that's true. So from my first premise is this. Jock Lemaire, when he went over there, his he looked at hockey and he said to himself, if you're going to way to win, and the uh, the one that Montreal won four in a row and then wasn't it uh, the Islanders won, won four, four in, in a row. row themselves. And what had happened was the Islanders had kind of taken a book out of the Habs play about the forward play you know that little bit of that fire wet bragging hockey Mm -hmm. so Jacques Lemaire had the bright idea that he was going to go to Europe and study a way to stop a team like the Montreal Canadiens that was his goal because he had played on the team etc and he decided I'm going to go and devise a system that would stop the Montreal Canadiens you know what I'm saying yep yep I think that's schmuck thinking for starters but we know what happened when he came back from Europe what did he bring the neutral zone trap do you, do you want to try to explain the neutral zone trap to people? We should. Okay. Yeah, so if you're too young to remember, the neutral zone trap, it's a pretty simple neutral zone system where you're just clogging up the neutral zone, blue line to blue line with all five of your guys. Basically, like, you shall not pass this line, forcing guys to dump it in, basically. And they played on that weird diagonal. Because you ever see the little video they show if the players are moving, if you're doing it, like, according to Hoyle, Jock Lemaire, neutral zone trap. Yeah. So what ended up happening, and this is where I say it affected the structure of the game and started to piss me off, is that Jock Lemaire did get a chance to come back, and they made him a coach of the Montreal Canadiens. Yes, in uh, the mid-'80s. Yes, he did. And he actually took us to... 
the semifinals against one of those years that uh, the Islanders were in. We made a, a sudden run. But before he did this, he basically ran Guy Lafleur out of town. Is that so? I'm going to say so because what had happened was Guy Lafleur is firing in hockey. A guy was scoring 100 points a year, 50, 60 goals a year. Uh, the first thing they did, of course, is got rid of my favorite player, Pierre LaRouche, because he was starting to be the type of player that was more involved with things off the ice than on, so to speak, but he proved they were wrong later. However, what he did is that he came to Montreal and he changed the style of the Montreal Canadiens, mm-hmm. which was almost blasphemy at the time. Okay, but he did take him to the semifinals until Brian Trache did the dirtiest hit on Bob Ganey I've ever seen and broke his shoulder because Bob Ganey was playing a role where it could have proven to him why the Russians were saying he was one of the greatest hockey players of all time, especially on a two-way basis, Mm -hmm. because Ganey was not only doing things defensively, he was actually carrying us offensively, which is weird to say when you're talking about Bob Ganey. Sure. You know what I mean? They invented the Selkie Trophy. Yeah, I mean, uh, offense, uh, no offense to him, but, like, it's not the reason why you talk about his game. You know, you think, you know, Selkie Trophy defensive play, captain of the oh, team yeah. during that uh, 86 Cup. Yeah, all that all that kind of stuff like that. So, in any event, what had gone on was that when what he did is he said that, no, I'm going to change the way that we're going to play. And what we're going to do is we're going to like the Montreal Canadiens play the neutral zone trap, which evolved into the left wing lock. Um, not really. Left wing lock is a bit of a different system. In what way? So, left wing lock is... You, you park don't park a guy by the door. Well, you don't tr- clog the neutral zone at all. No. In that one. That one, you have the left wing fall back with the defenseman, and they all kind of play zone in the defensive end. Okay, but we, what it is, rush. I always say it was this. It was a ba- it's the it's the back door on the uh, neutral zone mm-hmm. trap because once guys started tra- doing the what they were trying to do is dump and pass and going on the end when they did the third guy, it was always to say it seemed like he was at the penalty box or where the players went on the bench. Like that winger, whatever way the puck went, he ran up there. So if you tried to have a breakout there, they had three across the line and one forward, which eventually leads to to a lot which goes on today, which we will get to is the 1-3-1. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the 1-3-1. Which uh, Tampa Bay popularized with, um, oh my God, what's his name? Guy Guy Boucher. Yeah, Guy Boucher. Yes, yeah. Who if Buffalo hired uh, Mike Babcock would have been coach of the Leafs. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I did not know that from a historical point of view. Yep. Okay, in any event, what goes on now is Jock Lemaire comes along, and what, what we want to do is, I want to show you, the point it out is, here's what happened. By the time Jock Lemaire established himself in 86 when the final we were going on, let's talk in the 80s here, and this is why I'm saying the structure of the game has changed. In 1989, the leading scorer in the NHL, who was Mario Lemieux, scored 199 points. Yes. Okay. So let's go to 2009, which is 30 years later, which is about a generation, correct? Yes. You're going to go... Oh, what was the leading scorer that year? 110 points? Yeah. Sandin? One of the Sandin twins, or was it somebody uh, else? 20, 2009, that would have been... Dreisaitl? No, it's too uh, soon. No. No, I think it was Malkin that was scoring. Maybe, no. Yeah. No, no. I think it was one of the Sandin brothers. We'll look it up. In no, any it, event... No, they, they were the two years after. It, okay, in any event, let, let's just talk about this now. We're talking from a, a span of a generation where you could score 189 points in a season to the leading scorer only scoring 110 yeah. points a season. Isn't that a precipitous drop-off, my friend? Yes, but uh, back in the 80s, there was also a lot of guys kind of cheating 
not playing defense when they should have as well. Oh, you can argue that. Stop it! No, what did happen? You say that about Lemieux all the time. Come okay, on. Okay, okay, okay. That's why I'm. This is my point. We'll get to that. <laughs> what ended up happening is when you did the first with the neutral zone trap is you couldn't get the cherry picking going as much yeah. as you used to because what happens is the guy was not at all basically. Back. Yeah, because you couldn't have the hang back and it was going like that. So what ended up happening is the game clogged down in the middle. Yeah. Not only that, with the clutch and grab. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Obstruction. Okay. So now what happens when we have a game? It looks like we're going from the Montreal Canadiens, New, or- New-, New York Islanders, firebrand hockey to skating in sand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then that, of course, led to uh, a lot of the rules being changed after the 0405 lockout. Okay. Trying to open up the game. Okay, so this is where I'm saying that I'm saying Jock Lemaire is a schmuck. I don't know why he ever brought up this left wing lock and our neutral zone trap, which evolved into the left wing lock. Because what he done to me personally is he's upset the the uh, the game from when it started. Like the, the the fundamental way they played hockey changed, and of course that would, with the coincidence being two thousand four, two thousand five, that was also the year of the strike. Yeah, yeah, the lockout. Okay, so once they had the lockout, what did they do? They came back with a completely let's change the game attitude. Yeah. Red line gone. Red line gone. All those obstructions. Call gone. every yeah. penalty. Remember the first 20 games of that season? They called more penalties the first 20 mm-hmm. games of that season, I think, than any 20 game span in the history of hockey. <laughs> like, I think it was some ridiculous number like that. We, we, I, I, I think we'd bore people with those type of numbers. However, it, that, that's how it went on. And I'm saying so, everybody says, isn't that good that the game changed? You think it was better? Well, it was better. In what way? It opened up the game. It made it exciting again. Okay, so what I'm saying is that's why I don't like Jacques Lemaire. He put he 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 kicked the game so hard. We had to do something like take out the red line so you could have a two line pass, which never went on in the history of hockey. So no. how could they play hockey all those years? And I remember those games where there was amazing hockey games, and there was two line. You couldn't have two line passes. You had to work your way out. I thought yeah. it was a fundamental way of the game. So what I'm saying is, in my humble opinion, Jacques Lemaire pushed the game back. Then you had to artificially find ways to improve the game, which in- impeded the structure well, of it. Well, uh, artificial, what does that mean? Like, so what? You got to stay married to your rule set forever? No, because if we're not, with the re- notice one sport we haven't brought up is the NFL, and yeah. why? Because they change every year according every year. to the violence level. Yeah. You know, they look at the tapes. They say, okay, but that's football. It's a completely different game. The structure. Because NHL is a flow game. Mm-hmm. Okay? And we'll get to the other two games in it when we get there. But what I'm saying is that I was never happy with the fact that I was happy when the clutch and grab stuff was gone. Mm-hmm. Remember Brett Hall talking about that? Holy cow. He says you could, you could drive Brett down Hall, the street. Brett Hall, Lemieux, Gretzky, all those stars of that day. Yeah, they, they, but you, the, the bottom line was I, I like, remember they, things disappeared like the famous uh, Brian McCabe can opener. Yeah, yeah, that was gone. Okay, stuff like that had to go, which did open the game. But I'm saying if we didn't impede the game with going about trying to, um, Stop it in a way that affects the structure of the game. I'm saying Jacques Lemaire is not a favorable person for me in the history of the NHL, mm-hmm. considering I gave you that soliloquy about that great goal. Yeah. For the most part, Jacques Lemaire now to me is a schmuck. Okay? Can I say that? And Jacques Lemaire, if I met you, I'd shake your hand and buy you a beer, but I'd say, why did you invent that? You know what I mean? Why did you, you invent that? Well, it's, he didn't really invent it. He just found it in Europe. They're think, playing a more defensive game there. No, he developed even more. And I guess, you know what I always say? Because the players weren't that good. 
They sucked. So what he had to do is find. Well, there was a bigger ice surface there too, which kind of makes it a different game in Europe. Oh, agreed. And I can understand at times if you had a really fast team and you were a slow team and you had to find a Mm -hmm. way to um, impede because that's basically what you're doing. You're impeding the flow of the game. Yeah. So I'm saying, Jacques Lemaire, you schmuck, you impeded the flow of the game, and it's never been the same. Things are funny though when you look at the stats because even when. So I was, I was looking at uh, the top scoring team by year and the worst scoring team by year. I started 89-90, and I went all the, day, all the way to the modern day. Yeah, you can see um, it. The funny thing is New Jersey, in a lot of those years, ironically enough, were among the goals scored leaders. Yeah. It's just the numbers <laughs> were very low. Very low. That's what I'm saying because like, you, know what I do, you know what they used to do too? That I, I give Jock Lemaire credit because they used to do that thing of the punk, puck would bounce off, then the forward would just go straight to the zone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if there was a turnover in the neutral yeah, zone yeah. area, then one guy knew, like it was Patrick Elias was there at the time, and yep. he scored 90-some points. He used to do the break, so the guy would just throw the puck there. Okay, we had a turnover. If you go to that spot, I'm going to throw the puck there. And then... Um, Jersey started getting transition goals. Yeah, because they had those speedy wingers there, uh, Eliash and Gianta. Yeah, and, those and all guys. those. Yeah, and and you know what? It ended up. I mean, they won a Stanley Cup. They won a couple Stanley Cups. Three. Okay. And, 95, uh, 2000, 2003. Okay, so now when you look about that, they also had a great goaltender. Yes. One of the greatest Maybe, of all time. Uh, I'd say a little bit overrated because he was uh, pumped up a little bit by the neutral zone trap and those defensemen there. Okay, so let's uh, not forget the importance of guys like Stevens, Niedermeyer, and Rafalski. Oh, you 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 named three big ones, and of course we're talking about the um, incomparable Martin Brodeur. Yes. Okay, so now let's take it one step further. Now Jock Lemaire has decided he's going to slow the game down so he can't score anymore. But you got these sneaky guys that come along and say, not only going to slow it down now, we're going to adjust our equipment <laughs> to go along with the slowdown. Oh, yes. Okay. The classic is, I wish we could do it. Our viewers, our, our, our people that are listening is, if you ever get a chance to, it's just YouTube, Patrick Roy in 1986, yes. standing in the ground of the goal, and Patrick Roy in 1996 wearing his, his equipment. Yeah. Okay. Night and day. A hundred percent, which once again, um, the goals, the scoring went down. The scoring went down and they said, what are they going to do? And they realized they had to go to another fundamental difference, which is changing the size of the equipment. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think they should have had to do that? Uh, they had to do something because guys were wearing equipment that was just ridiculously large. You had to, you had to do something. Okay, I'm saying this. This is where technology and society goes to change. Okay, in 1969 to 1979, just see if you were playing goal in the NHL and in between periods, if you see the weight of a goaltender's pads because the material that mm. they were using, I think they changed pads. I think Johnny Bauer was one of the ones that said he had two pairs of pads. Okay. Because he said by the end of the second period or something, the other ones were so wet and heavy. Yeah. He had to put on a pair of dry pads just to get through. Whereas by the time Patrick Roy came around with his Michelin Man outfit to play goal in, all of that material came from the space age. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The material that the, that the pads were made out of and stuff like that. Oh, so it sure. was lighter, quicker, faster, so to speak. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they even had, they, they started developing like those coverings for the skates. For, so yeah. the goalie would yeah. have the coverings and stuff. Which Patrick Roy would wear a pair that were two sizes too big for his skates, if you want to add that on. Yeah. So fundamentally, I think the game was changed. And I don't know if it was ever changed for the better. 
I'm not going to say well, that you're it saying, was... A, well, the, by, but the goalies kind of messed it up there. In, in, yes and no, but you're the one that tells me that... You're taking you, advantage of basically there being no rule about the sizes there. Okay, and then you got a team that plays a great left-wing lock or a great neutral zone trap mm-hmm. with a goalie that looks like the Michelin man. How many? What, what was the goals against average then? The goals against average were some of the lowest of all time. Some of the goal scoring per teams were some oh, of the lowest of right all time. That, uh, it was crazy. Right before the lockout there, Ottawa led in goals 262. That's it. 260 goals in uh, an your 80 best team game just had, schedule. Just had over three goals per game. And the league average was 2.57. <laughs> yeah. Jock Lemaire. <laughs> It started with Jock Lemaire, bro. And then they just added it on that. I'm saying, but you know what? It, it, was, it was like the perfect storm when you think about it. You had the lock. You had the equipment problem. You had the slowdown of the game. And then you had a lockout. Yeah. So I, uh, the only thing I ever said about the lockout was the NHL did come back with a reset. Mm-hmm. When you come to think about it, they came back with a reset. Oh, yeah. And... and um, I'm I'm very much for because I watch a lot more hockey even when I was younger. As we always talk about, I am quite a bit older than you, but that's, that's irrelevant. Only in this way, when you watch some of those games back in the day, they were pretty damn good. However, the bottom line was um, when you think about it, some of the slashing, grabbing, hooking, and stuff was just insane. Yeah, and especially when you got to those games when you got to the last five minutes. Sometimes when it became hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, even you just think of the way penalties are called, where now you get upset when a penalty doesn't get called. Back then, you'd get upset when a penalty was called. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, I, I'm saying this. What it led to is, um, and I, w- with this defensive thing and opening it up is, let's look at the game today, okay? I'm not sure what it is, but I think the leading scorer in the league this year had 300 and some goals, right? It was over 300. The, goal, the leading was no two. Yeah, Edmonton yet. had 325. Yeah, so that, that's... Last pretty, year, Florida had 340. There you go. So that, that's way above what, what the yeah. average is. But So we're going to leave it at that for now before we move on in, in, in this thing. Is that I'm saying that I don't know when you get the evolution of the game, say we're just going to go in our generation from 89 to two, uh, 2009. Yeah. Um, I'm saying that it started with Jock Lemaire and the equipment change and the labor lockout. And it fundamentally changed the game in a way that I don't think that the kids today will ever see the hockey that they seen back in the day. We're going to have hockey purists say it was better. We're going to have people like you that say it was worse because the goaltenders were terrible. And who's the Hall of Fame goalies of the time and blah, blah, blah. Well, there's also the goons that kind of set things back to in the 70s. Okay, and and going into the 80s. So I will say this. Congratulations to the... We are in a state where the Vegas just won the Stanley Cup. Yes, and sir. we'll end on this note. Even though it evolved to this game here, and we're going to have plenty of time to revisit this subject, Florida did try to goon it up when they got to the finals because they thought that was the only way they could do it. And I want to say thank you because I was leaning towards Florida winning this when the playoffs, when they started. I was kind of on that Florida bandwagon. Not mm-hmm. even not really at anybody in the race. But Vegas answered in an aggressive physical way and they were the better team and they were the bigger players and they ultimately bitch slapped them in five games with that horrendous 9-3 final yeah you know what i mean i don't know i i, I you can you could tell me this or you, like what well i know one thing that you've always said to me is that um 
about the goaltending. The goaltenders might not have been a good. And one thing that we didn't even bring up yet is the quality of the equipment. Uh, well, we compressed the, hockey sticks. Oh, the you sure the sticks? They, they, yeah, they had all that kind of stuff that you're going to have to add on to it, which has changed the game too, if you yeah. know what I mean. So I don't know where you, we're going to add it up because what ends up happening is I'm saying that uh, I still think there should be more scoring. I think that I don't know how you're going to open it, so to speak. Well, the game is opening up. It should be opening up even yeah. more. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm glad there's no stretch. What, what? This is the first year. What did Connor McDavid have this year? The first 150 point season in what a thousand years? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, this is an anomaly. Yeah. And which tells you the greatness of Connor McDavid. Oh sure. However, unless he wins the Stanley Cup, he's just another great player that didn't accomplish anything. Will he be on the Mount Rushmore? We'll have to see. We're going to see if the game's going to be I think he will up. be. I think he may be, too, even if he jumps to another team. But in any event, when we're talking about how the structure of the game has changed, and that's what kind of pisses me off as an old man talking about that, I wish that they could have found other ways besides guys like Jock Lemaire fundamentally screwing with the game. Brings us to our next subject, Mr. Theo Epstein. Yes, the uh, whiz kid, so to speak, that led the... Oh, yeah. That uh, got two teams out of big curses, the Red Sox and the Cubs. He will go down in history just for that alone. Like, if you had told me, say, um, I don't know, in the year 2000, that some kid in his 30s was going to take the Boston Red Sox to World Series glory, leave town and go pick up the Cubs and do the same thing, I would have been saying, what's that strain you're smoking? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that, that, that was a huge undertaking. But how did he get there? Well, I'm sure you know. Well, you look like you want to say something. No, I'm just going to let you there because I've been talking too much and I hate analytics. Okay, you know that. I'm a fierce hater of analytics, even though, even though I understand how it got here. But it's wrecked the game, buddy, and you know it, which is really, I read a great thing, is it? Now we've gotten this far. Before we get there, let's just talk about how badly did Theo Epstein. Now, some people say you got to add Billy Bean, too. Sure, but he that's a little bit of a different position because that was a very poor ball club. They were Thank pushed you. into that position. 100%. So that's why I'm I, I'm glad you brought that up because Epstein had all the money in the world that he wanted to do with. You know, we're talking the Oakland A's, the Boston Red Sox. What was the name of the family that used to own them? The Red Sox? Yeah. The, oh, the Yockleys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the Oculus or something. They, they've yeah. had money since the Civil War. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is a big money capitalist um, baseball team. But what, 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 when you think about it, it um, you're more of an analytics guy than I am. Agreed? You see uh, the more? Sure. Okay. So I'm saying analytics, especially in baseball, ruined the fundamental essence of baseball. I believe that. And when I was younger, I probably said at times that baseball was my favorite sport. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay? So where do we want to start with how badly it gets structured? Want to talk about the complete games and the pitchers? Let's start with the complete games and the pitchers. Okay. So let's go back to, um, first of all, we got to understand where, they, like, it wasn't just Epstein because things were going to be changing anyway because they said of the pitchers, which the big f first change was in 1969 when they lowered the mound mm -hmm. by five inches. Yeah. Okay. Big disadvantage for the pitchers, yes. an advantage for the hitters. Yes, okay, five inches. I Some people say that if Roger Clemens had a pitched off the 1969 um, mound, 
with that scroogey he had, mm. you know, that's like that drop slider. They said he would have won 30 games. Jeez. Yeah, because yeah. like because he the trajectory he would have had on that pitch with the velocity, he would have been almost unhittable. What I'm trying to get at is how did analytics do this? 1969, the team, one team had 77, led the league. Was it had 80 some complete games? 80 some complete games. I don't think there's been 80 complete games in the last three years of baseball. <laughs> Why are you so hung up on complete games? I'm going to tell you this because what ends up happening is you don't know, you don't take about the um, the moment. In the, in the game, okay? You're going to say, okay, this guy's got 80 pitches. He's going to face Andrew Milani for the first time. Does he got it or does he not? Mm. I'm saying that sometimes in the flow of the game, I want to take the chance of the human element going, today he's got it. He's got right. 10 more pitches in the cannon. Okay, and some days, you know, the oldest pitchers like Sparky Anderson, they didn't call him Captain Hook for nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what I'm saying is that I, I want to read the guy. I want to read the element. Now, you're, I agree. You, but you're the one that tells me, Who's running the team? It's not being run on the on the field. It's being run from where? Well, the general manager's office, which I agree is kind of a problem. Thank but, you. But but hold on though. But like, I, but I mean, I'm 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 a guy that just says like pitch count. That's the guy. That's the thing I look at for starting pitchers. Hundred pitches. It's it's the end of your day. I'm sorry. Why? Because you're gonna uh, you got we have a full regular season to go through and plus playoffs that we want to keep you fresh for as well. Because we saw. Cruz, your Detroit Tigers guy. Yeah. Verlander, all those guys going like 250 innings. How'd they go in the playoff time? Out like a balloon. Okay, so guess what? Maybe they should have trained better because how come that didn't happen to Bob Gibson back in the day? How come it Because didn't they were all pitching Sinner? like that. Okay, so now, that's... Now, now we're in an era where... So they were kind of playing it like, you know, whatever, we're just going to throw these pitchers, you know, uh, we're going to throw them out there till their arms fall off. Meanwhile, the smart teams were like, okay, we're going to save these guys a little bit for the playoffs. Who won in the playoffs? Wait a second here. How come there's more pitchers, more Tommy Johns, more injuries, more oblique, and all this nonsense that pitchers than there's ever been in the history of the game? Let's go back to, say, even 1990. Okay. It was not the injuries that you're seeing in baseball today. It seems like guys want to run and get their Tommy John in because analytics Oh, it's, said, it's a, well, the Tommy John. What, is that, it yeah, right it's, a passage it's, or It some is a right shit? of passage at this point. Come on. <laughs> so I'm, I'm saying I think it's ridiculous. And the reason that I'm on the complete game thing so much is that when we're talking about the day-to-day -day in the 2023 season, I'm still saying I'm going to base it on the fact that except for the anomaly that is the Tampa Bay Rays, the teams that will be winning the, the, the divisions will be the teams that have the most quality starts. It usually works that way. Usually does. Okay, so what I'm, I'm saying that is when I have a quality start, it's five innings and two runs. So a guy pitches 200 innings, you give him $20 million a year. That's huge inflation where I come from, bro. <laughs> well, I mean, Major League Baseball makes huge money, so. Okay, we know that because the capital, American capitalistic bullshit I always like to bring up. But that's not my point. My point is somewhere along the line, when Theo Epstein came in the game, he said, okay, I'm going to look at it this way. You, you give your... Spin rate, you know, and yeah, you, yeah. You, you will increase the velocity on your ball while he's telling the batter to work on your launch angle. And what did we end up with? Uh, world record in strikeouts. That's my problem with where things have going in. Like, we're just home run, strikeout, no small ball. 
Exactly. Yeah, it, was, it was all or nothing, no in between. Okay. That, that's my problem. Okay, now we're now that we're starting to get some, uh, what do you call it, level Traction, playing field yeah. here. Okay, so let's take it one step further then. So we don't know that the night that that guy could have thrown the extra pitch. You know what I mean? So you bring. So now you're saying, okay, we're three two. Okay, the game is okay. three two. All right, and uh, we're around a hundred pitches, but the guy seems to be on. Okay, but you take him out. Let's just say the perfect example: Blake Snell in the World Series at the pitch well, count. He, he, okay, but he wasn't even close to a hundred pitches, though. He was at eighty. Yeah, well, yeah, I think it was eighty nine, wasn't it? I do believe uh, I checked it. It was, it was somewhere in the eighties. But he he could have he could have gone on. Yeah, but what did what, they trusted analytics that said what? You're going to face Andrew Milani for the third time. Better go sit down. Can't we take up the emotion of a game? Because in other games, you play on that. You know when the crowd gets up, or like especially in football, yeah. and the momentum changes, you let the guy go? Are we, gonna take, are we taking that out of the game with analytics? I mean, baseball's always kind of been uh, like kind of a plug-and-play game, though. Don't you think, though? In what respect? Well, just like kind of like um, – uh, oh my God! What's his name? Earl Weaver, kind of was just known as uh, a push button oh, manager, right? Okay, but no, he was this way. First of all, there's different managers that did different things. Let's go back. Yeah. And, let's go to two classic managers, Earl Weaver and Sparky Anderson, which is two good ones to bring up because if you go back to the day, Earl Weaver's pitchers pitched a lot of complete games. Yeah. Sparky Anderson's teams, they'd be lucky to get to the seventh inning because in some respects, maybe Sparky Anderson is involved in this pitch count thing. But what I'm saying is that when you took at analytics and you look at spin rates and launch angles and there's no action in the game and nobody's scoring and stuff, what happened to the game? What do you mean what happened to the game? You had to change it fundamentally. Because what they did is analytics went so far as to invent this thing called the shift. Uh, well, the shift was happening since, what, the 60s? When did, uh, was in the World Series when, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Red Sox uh, left-handed hitter. Oh my God! What am I blind? Fred Lynn? No, no. The the guy who never tipped his hat. Oh, uh, Wade Boggs. No, no, no. Er, earlier, left-handed hitter, outfielder. Oh my God! I'm thinking one of the seven? best hitters of all time. Why am I? Carl Skrimsky. No, no, no. Before that. Oh my God! Before that, like what? Yeah. What? What era? Oh, was it like 50s, 60s? I'm trying to oh, think of uh, Ted Williams. Ted Williams. Thank okay, you. Ted Williams. Okay, I got there. Yeah, yeah. That's but he the, was a pure hitter. Sure. Okay. That's when the shift started. Okay, but, that, but well, how many times did they do that? Not many, but that's how it always starts, though. Okay, but guess what? What did Ted Williams learn to do immediately? What did he do? Drop a bunt? To or hit the ball, or hit, start to hit the ball the other way. Yeah. So then they they got screwed. So here's what I'm saying. I want to have the rules got because analytics came up with the shift, with the spin rate, with the bat rate, with, with how many times are going in there. They fundamentally changed the game in this way. I believe since baseball at the beginning of time is if I want to put seven guys at second base, yeah, should that be should be to. my prerogative. Now analytics has driven the games that they're telling you where you have to put play. Is that baseball when you're telling people where they got to play? Shouldn't you have the decision where you put them wherever you want? Now, I'm not going to put nine Playing guys. Playing the percentages, right. though. Okay, so that's analytics. Okay, so is it winning more World Series? Probably. In what respect? Do you think did Houston win use analytics that year that much? I guarantee they have a huge analytics department. Oh, everybody does. No, 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 no. Let's not go there. Everybody has. Oh, yeah. They, they have that guy that's never swung a bat in his life, who's got a laptop that's got a 
voluminous amount of numbers and i love to read numbers but these guys i can't imagine the numbers that they're reading come on oh, bro. Sure. what do you think of it and how many do it and they when they do it over so many times like they said when they're down in the major minor leagues when they were doing all this thing and now they've decided so what did theo epstein do to the game okay he ended to he ended to horrendous droughts from two of america's most storied or beloved franchise. Is that how you speak? Yeah. The lovable Cubs. And, and two, two of the big sports cities in the States, too. Oh, two of the biggest. You know what I mean? Top five at all time. So, in his crafty way of designing it, because you know what? And I will agree with you when you said this. The difference between Billy Bean and Theo Epstein was what? Money. Money. And Billy Bean was offered the Red Sox job. Let's not forget that. I forgot. I don't know why he didn't take it. Uh, well, he had a daughter that lived in San Diego, so... I, mean, I heard about that, yeah. too. Well, we've seen that in the movie. Yeah. Remember? But I also said it was this. I heard that um, he was a West Coast guy. Yeah. I just heard he was always a West Coast guy, so he didn't want to live in the East Coast the way it is. So, now that we've got all this analytics, okay, let's just check some other numbers. The home run leader in 1968-69 hit about 32 home runs. They lowered the mound, and by the time we got back into the early 70s, guys were hitting 40 home runs again. Yeah. It was getting back up there, correct? Yeah. Okay. So how does that not change the fundamentals of baseball then? Why are we not arguing about that? What's About what? The mound. Okay, that's where it started. Okay, yeah. so now I'm saying I was never known if I, I was too young to grasp it, but the numbers told me that pitchers got so damn good. And I think it was the era of the pitcher because there's more, I think there's more Hall of Fame pitchers from the 60s than any other era. If you check the if you oh, Hall sure. of Fame, I, I think there's more than that. So they had to lower the mound because it was a dead ball era. But what they had to stop doing, here's another thing, thinking of ball is, how many times did the Major League Baseball play with the baseball to oh, change man. the season? Was that <laughs> proper? How many times? Oh, especially in recent years. That's uh, The juice balls was uh, quite the hot topic. Theo Epstein has recently has said when now that he's a, uh, what is it? Consultant a, with consultant Major League Baseball. He says that we can't be playing with the baseball anymore. Okay, wait a second, Theo. The Major League said they never played with the baseball. <laughs> and then you're saying we, we shouldn't be playing. Well, some, well we, knew, we all knew what was happening. Of course you do. They it was on the way that they were like sewn together or exactly something. and the yeah. way they tighten the thing yeah, and i remember i remember even last year or the year before when guys were letting pitches go they're flying around guys head yeah because guys like verlander were telling you that the um the laces were a little too high so they weren't getting the proper grip and it was flying out of their hands and then what do they do then they let them use a little more sticky so that they could hold on to the ball it wouldn't go by his head till now they got to go to guys if you put any more look they check the guy after every mount which they should have been doing a long time ago. Oh, I do agree sure. with that. I, I do I do agree with that element of change. Yeah, like there's the joke in uh, Major League about the guy who's showing like all the different things like around they hit where oh, yeah. like, oh, things they hide in his uniform. It was, he's got the jalapeno in his nose. Like he's got this on this shoulder, this on this shoulder, this on the chest, you know. Okay, did you ever see Gaylord Perry? Do you know who Gaylord Perry is? Yeah. Okay, he's a Hall of Famer. Gaylord Gaylord Perry is the poster child of cheating in baseball. Part of the reason when the pitcher, when the umpire would go out to check on Gaylord Perry, his uniform looked so bad, his baseball hat looked like one of the best ones, the first ones ever made. 
And everything was greasy and dirty, so where do you find the grease and dirt on the guy? Well, he went out looking, and he, they didn't know where it was. It was, it was, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. So what are they going to do with the guy? So he got away with it. And, of course, there's the favorite time when... Um, Unfortunate name, by the way. Was that? <laughs> Unfortunate name. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but um, they had the famous thing then, and it turned out to be Don Sutton, who was later a Hall of Fame pitcher, where he did that thing off camera where they showed his hands, but they blacked out his head and blurred his voice. Where he was taking about all the techniques they used oh, to yeah. grease the ball. Any advantage they can get. The emery board. Yep. All that kind of stuff. And guys would always say if the ball would hit the foul ball, they get the catcher. So they throw it back to him really yeah. quick so yeah. they can find the scuff on the ball to throw yeah. it. Tommy John, who's not only known for his, the Tommy John surgery, was known for the master of knowing that. If, he, if Tommy John had a scuff on a baseball, he could make it sing freaking the national anthem, <laughs> which was just crazy. Okay, but we're getting a little off track. We're getting back to the Theo FC thing about what has changed in the game because of analytics. And what did they have to do? To me, too many things were changed in the fundamental belief in the game. Okay, now, here's what's really happening in this, and we're gonna, I'm going to go full circle with it right now, is we cannot take away from the fact that baseball, to me, is a cerebral game. Yes. It is a national pastime that should have no time limit, and it moves according to the circumstances yeah. of the situation. Unfortunately, the generations that have followed, especially coming in new generations, are people that kids have cell phones by the time they freaking <laughs> walking. The okay, yeah. everything's going fast. Everything's got to move. Nobody wants to wait. Nobody has any patience. If you think that I'm lying about that, the craziest phenomenon in our world today is TikTok. And what's TikTok oh, yeah. based on? Short content. And, and rapidly fired at you yeah. on continuous motion. So how in the hell can you enjoy a nine-inning game when a vast majority of our world is trapped in a TikTok environment? It's quite the conundrum. That's I mean, baseball has been looking for that younger audience for a few years now. I don't think it ever is. Did you know last year they said that the average um, average fan that watched the World Series last year was 56 years old? Oh, I believe that. That's not good. Now, I'm, I'm believing you. I'm glad you're a big baseball guy because there is a underbelly of you guys, Andrew. My boys, their crew, they're all mm. going down to the games. You know what I mean? So I'm saying there is a constant underbelly there. And then, of course, that's why it's called a national pastime because there's areas in baseball because it's a local thing that baseball will never die in America anyway. No. I mean, like, the, the they've really done well with the, the game experience. Like, going oh, to, yeah. going to uh, Rogers Center here, like, it's a day out. You know, it's a yes. lot of fun, you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they, they really nailed that. But uh, <laughs> the product itself, you know. That's the question. I'm saying the product. So that's what happened now. You went analytics. You said, okay, because what did analytics want to do? It wanted to create the optimum way for you to beat the other team. Less risk. Taking less, less risk. risk. Okay. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Now, I read a great quote that said, we got Theo Epstein, who's now in a chair, who's now going to try to undo the very thing that he created. And he's been on record as saying some really crazy-ass things about what he has screwed up personally in context of the world of sports. I heard a New York sports writer put him into context this way, and I laugh because it's true. Getting Theo Epstein to fix the problem with analytics is like Vegas um, gambling houses 
getting cheaters to come in and tell them why their process isn't working. <laughs> I mean, you go to the source, though, right? Ah, so... There's something to be said for that. Ah, then so what Theo Epstein has to admit is he's wrecked baseball in this way. They had to make the bases bigger. Yes, because the stolen bases were dramatically down. Okay, and you know what? It hasn't quite gotten there, but it's getting there pretty soon. Remember yeah. I said, if you talked about our show, I said that it'll be a track meet by June? Yeah. It's getting there, don't you start to think? Lost stolen bases happening. Oh, numbers have gone up on records you wouldn't even know about. Yeah. And I and why? Because they got the bag is, um, I forget what, three inches bigger all the way around? I think I think it's like an inch bigger on each side. Okay, so, yeah. okay, so but here here's the great thing about it. I had to give Theo Epstein discredit with this. He goes, when you're changing like that, you say to like people that are in baseball for their whole lives, they've been injected since they were a kid. Like, hey, what's the size of baseball? What's the size of, yeah. of, a, of, of a base? Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody really knows. There was, a, there was a size and regulation. Yeah. But you ask, hey, Sparky Anderson, what size of base? I don't know. Uh, Kirk Gibson, what size? I don't know. Tom Seaver, what's, I don't know. And what ends up happening is that Theo said, well, if we had an inch on, what does it matter? Because nobody knows anyway. Yeah. Right? Which has led to the track meet that we're seeing today with guys diving into sure. base all the time, right? So the one thing that I, I'm going to give Ball credit for is with the analytics changing the game, and Theo, it, the last thing is that the pitch clock, the time on the pitch clock, because every time in a game, games can be improved. Mm -hmm. You can always fine-tune things to see if they're going to be better, correct? Sure. I think the one thing I will take away from all this is I kind of agree with the pitch clock, which might make me a little hypocritical. Ooh, it's, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, because you were just saying before that uh, baseball shouldn't have a time limit. No, it shouldn't, and that's what I'm a little – but I'm saying this. I do believe that um, what it is, does is, is it changes the pace of the game. Okay. Oh yeah. You you've seen the viral thing where there's that one guy he pitches he pitches a whole inning, while the other guy, the time that guy pitches an inning, the other guy is throwing one pitch. Yeah. Okay. So that's not good for the younger people who are in the TikTok world who want to keep things moving. <laughs> that correct? was even just outside of that. Like that would just piss people off. Like my mom watching the games. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to say this too, and I'm going to get I'm going to get in trouble for this because I don't want to say that certain players coming from certain players do certain things differently than other players. And I think you add that to, uh, to the analytics. That also led to the slowdown. You know what I game? Like, like, if it takes you 10 minutes to get into the batter's box, you got to change your gear, fix your jock, check your grease, tie your shoes. While the pitcher's on the mound, he's touching his knee, getting yeah. his glove, pulling out his hat, looking over the pitcher. You're doing a lot of stuff in the course of the game, which becomes game and chip what you don't need. Correct? Agreed. So, I'm a tad typical, because I really do believe baseball shouldn't have a time clock. But I do believe we do should have a pitch count. You know what I mean? Like a pitch that, clock. That pitch clock. Pitch which, clock. Which, because the pace of the game is very important, I think. Oh, for sure. You got to keep it moving. You want to have, like, a game should happen in under three hours. 100%. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that, that means that the quality of pitching is good and the quality of the defense is good. Oh, sure. Because you know what? Never been better. Okay. So what, I, what I'm getting at is that then when you get a three hour and 10 minute game, maybe it's a 9 8 game. Where something crazy doesn't normally happen, which is makes it even more exciting because people can say, "Wow, did you see the hitting I see that game last night?" Kind of deal. Because yeah. people like to see the scoring and the runs, is that's why they're doing it? Because sure. analytics took a lot of runs away. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the amount of strikeouts that was going on. Oh, I know. It was like it was getting to the point where each league was getting over twenty thousand strikeouts over the season, which is insane. Because like late nineties, it was around like what mid teens. Mid teens, if insane. that high to that. Yeah, insane. But you know what? Theo is preaching this shit. Is there in uh, minor leagues? Is there coming up? Spin rate, launch angle, blah, 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 yeah. shift and all that. So players becoming one dimensional. I've never understood why you didn't lay it down a bunt when they when it was when they had the shift on. I never got that either. Like um the one that killed me was uh was it for the Jays? I think Colby Rasmus, they'd always shift him. Yep. But then he would never like it's just like, buddy, just lay down a bunt. Third yeah. base is wide open. Push it, get a pool cue, poke it down there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we, we can't just say it is now because the other major thing, which I forgot to realize, is that, and I think this is rec baseball anyway, in, in, in the sense that the American League, National League, Division, whatever, everybody plays everybody all the time. So there's no, no. No mystery. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And someone says, well, that's great because if you played in this league, you'll never get to see this player and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, but I like the thing where I, I didn't mind when they had interleague play. Just like in the midseason? And you played one team or two teams and that was it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't mind that because what ended up happening is I would be remiss if we didn't say the other thing that changed baseball earlier before the analytics really got involved was the. Um, they brought in the DH in 1976 or 73. Yeah, to the American League because scoring League. was down. Because scoring was down. And they said, well, we're going to try to get more with a designated hitter. What was it, two years ago now? Or was it this year, last year? Everyone's got a designated yeah. hitter now. So we'll never see a Bartolo, Bartolo Colon cranking a freaking home run. At City Field, uh, I mean that one time during the game. No, but something had to be done because you had to normalize the rules of both leagues. The fact that the National League took so long to get there was ridiculous, and it was because of like a a one vote in the eighties that like someone like the owner wanted to let it happen, but then the guy was like, oh, because it was not for this coming season; it was the season after. He didn't know what he was supposed to vote, and the owner was fishing with his daughter. Or something. I heard that rumor too, yeah. but I, I, so what? I'm glad he missed well, it's confirmed. There's a mini 30 for 30 about it. Yeah. Well, I, well, I'll take it one step further. I'm going, I like that because it defined the difference in the leagues, mm-hmm. which was another dynamic or dimension to the game that made you appreciate it more when the playoffs came. You know, and everyone said, well, the American League had the advantage. The American League didn't win that many more World Series because in they fact, had the they DH. won less. Since the DH came in, Thank which is you. the weird part. Thank you. So that's what I'm saying. Like when people add these things to change the game, I'm not saying it's necessarily making it better. Uh, but there's something as well to be said about pitchers coming up to like, come on, these guys were all batting like 100. Don't you want a better product? I want a good hitter coming up. Okay. I've learned to live with it. Yeah. Okay. But when I was a kid, I thought it was cheesy. <laughs> I did. I thought, why the do those DH, guys? Yeah, because yeah, I thought, because I was a purist already. Because I was on high school. I was already a teenager. I was well into watching baseball by then. And I really loved the game. And I was going, okay. But when they did it, the National League was so staunch about having their style of play. Because what did establish in the history of baseball, when you talk from, like, like say, 1970 to 2000, there was definitely American League ball and National League ball. Oh, sure. A lot of double switches in the National League. Yeah, that, that's I, kind of thing. Yeah, and you had to think about what you were doing before the game. Now it's more push button. 
Call up your analytics guy who's never swung a baseball bat in his life. Oh, buddy, he's at 72 and a half pitches and he's facing Andrew Milani. Go make him sit down. But he's he's not even breaking a sweat. Well, my book says we let me put him over there and put him in the corner and he can't pitch for the rest of the game. I hate that. I hate it. I think it's really rude. And if you, I want to tell anybody out there, if you're listening to this, because we could have added a lot more stats, but that would have just bored you. Really go take a look at baseball from the turn of the century till now. What Theo Epstein has done to this game, good, bad, and ugly, is unbelievable, bro. Like, look what we've gone through now in the last 20 years, how baseball has shifted. This is not the game I grew up on. Well, it is and it isn't. Because they got a bat and a ball and bases and 60 feet and they run around. Okay, that, 90 feet. 90 feet, okay. Yeah. Okay, that's the same. Look at the myriad of things that have changed. Has it made the game better? Yet to be seen? <laughs> sure. Okay, so I'm going to say no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not apropos to that. I'm not. I'm saying like everything can be refined and everything sure. can be made better. But when you take away from the fundamental elements of what makes a game the way that it is in a way that you're doing it without the human element, takes away from the entertainment aesthetic and puts people to sleep. Oh sure, like I mean, the the game has a has a heartbeat, right? Yes. How many? When a guy strikes out, when you have a game and twenty seven batters and fourteen of them strike out every game, mm-hmm. come on. No, I know that's that's no fun for anybody. Agreed, and that's what probably a little bit with the uh, I wonder with the Toronto Blue Jays strikeout rate this year. I bet just a little higher than most teams. We've been watching that. Probably what we're going to be saying. You know what I mean? But I mean, um, it's hard to. Um, like what we're doing here, we're not trashing them. We're just saying their impact on the game, be it good, bad, or ugly. And considering what Jock Lemaire did in hockey and what Theo Epstein did in baseball, and you look at their trophy cases, it's hard to go, why did you do that when you got the hardware? <laughs> well, it's all about winning, right? That's what I'm saying. The pursuit of excellence. So what is the cost of winning? A poor product? Huh? Well, we'll see. Well, that leads us into. <laughs> There's ways to fix it, though. That's that's the that's what I'm gaining from this. Okay, you you give me. Okay, here's what I'm saying right now. If I had my way with a new change in baseball, real quick, and you give me what you think. First of all, I would say, put the players wherever you want. Yeah, oh, I'm not a big fan of the shift either. Okay, now learn learn to do that. So I don't like the shift. When when teams did it, I agreed. It, it was ugly. It was. Uh, it showed how poor the hitting is. It showed how weak the player is to me. Put it down the other line. That's what I was. Well, say. hitting a baseball has always been one of the hardest things to do in sports, though. Hundred percent. I will agree with that. So yeah. learn to hit the other way, or find other players that can do it. Easier said than done, I'm sure. Oh, they say it all the time, but I, I'm not apropos. You wreck the game. Now, I can't really say that now because we have this other little issue. Before I go, and what we were going to change is to keep the game moving a little faster. How they do extra innings? Do you agree with that? Um, regular season, yes. I, I look at it in the way how it's like in the NHL, you have three on three overtime, right? Okay. It's it's a little thing. You put it in there just to speed things up. If that ever comes into postseason, I will lose my shit. Agreed. Of course, you could never do it. That that would no. take away from the like they got planes to catch. Yeah. Their schedules, their supply lines, a hotel is waiting. Got to clear it out. Like all these. Like was the the Blue Jays Canada Day game against Cleveland a few years ago, where it went like what twenty innings or something? Nineteen. Like, 
Yeah, there you go. Nineteen. Yeah, like come I on. didn't mind it though. Except you know what the problem with it was? Analytics fucked it up because so many people struck out. <laughs> you go back and see the strikeouts in that game. A million freaking strikeouts. Why? Because they couldn't hit. Oh, I'm sure also too the players were just getting antsy, like just trying to end it just on their own by by the end. Did you agree with that pitcher in the College World Series the other night? Threw 145 pitches. It was his third time he threw over 130 pitches this year. Jeez. His arm didn't oh, even boy. his arm didn't even budge. Didn't even nothing of it. Because I'm saying this. We we because of analytics and they're protecting guys' arms, why is there more injuries? We we you know what I mean? Yeah. I will do that one more time. There's Well, way college more baseball, than- the season's a lot sh- shorter though. Right? I agree. Uh, yeah. Okay, but just, there's not like it's not like baseball where, where you have like 30 starts you got to worry about plus you know another on an average a, a guy yeah. as what is it 16 to 20 starts in college? Yeah, it's something like 16 to 20, but it still doesn't matter. You're on that. You're still on a rotation. You sure. know you're going to play. Sure. You know you're going to do this. So I'm I'm of the belief that I want my guy throwing more because his arm will be stronger. Uh, yeah, but I mean, they're like these guys are always doing like simulated games and stuff oh, like that too. Stop it! Yeah, yeah, I, I, I pretend that freaking uh, Pamela Anderson is my girlfriend. Come on, no, I don't want that. I want you throwing the ball. I want him to do it. I want, I want my pitchers, and they're. You know what? This is a great na- anomaly about the Toronto Blue Jays this year. I heard on MLB the other night was saying where a guy was saying, if you look at Toronto's raw baseball stats and you look at their record. Something doesn't make sense. And, of course, it's actually due to the quality starts they've right. wasted because they didn't hit. Well, we'll get we'll get into that uh, in our regular in show. In our regular but. show. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that, that issue has come up. And yeah. I go, oh, okay. Here we go again. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, but with these guys, I don't know. With the, the baseball pitchers, though, it's you don't want to have them, like, burnt out, though, by the time you get to postseason, though. That's always the thing. I'll go back to the Detroit Tigers. With Verlander in those years. Okay, a couple of times they got a little overzealous with the amount of times they pitched, but I'm saying if he did this from the beginning of the season. And, they, by t- and postseason, they're always out of gas. Always. How come they weren't out of gas in the 70s? Because they were all playing like that. It, was, it wasn't uh, like the, like I said before. Other teams, they saw the, the information. They were like, oh, we can actually conserve these guys. They could be, you know, rolling more come playoff time. Let's do that. Instead, whoever, like Detroit and whoever, a few other teams, they're just throwing these guys out there, throwing them out there. Well, guess what? That catches up to you. Mm, mm. I don't know because then what what ends up happening is we get the uh, poster child for I don't think so, and his name is Blake Snell. Everywhere I've looked when I was talking about pitchers and going up, that name, that guy's name came up. And, oh, like New York. But that was was overthinking it by Tampa, though. Because of analytics. Uh, okay, sure, but I mean, eighty pitch. I'm hundred pitches. That's it. Okay, so um, he wasn't even close. Okay, so Stroman threw a hundred and eighteen pitches in a complete game win about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Then Bassett was it on Toronto? Complete game shutout. Yeah. He only threw eighty nine pitches, wasn't it? Or ninety nine? Love it. That's what I'm saying. So. Why don't we say screw analytics? It's up to the composure and the economics of the pitcher of the day. It's a dangerous game to play, it, for, especially for a team that's looking towards the postseason. Because like, what if all of a sudden the guys like a string of these starts, and you're like, okay, it's nice now, but so what do you do? Go to six starters and then, or you do the Tampa Bay theory? Uh, I mean, every the six, fifth the day the you six have a pillbag game. We've seen it in uh, kind of small spurts. It's uh, 
Could be the way to go. We see it in uh, Asia too, right? It's in Asia now as we speak, which gets to my theory because I'm being old school is because everybody can't pitch that much anymore because we're going to cater to them because they're all soft, sorry asses. Or, I'm or maybe you, teams want to win. <laughs> no, listen, okay, let's put it this way. When Tom Seaver won a World Series in the 70s, he pitched how many innings? He won a World Series. When Jack Morris pitched in 1904 with Mike Petrie, they, though, won, a, if, they if, won a World Series. Again, and they though, pitched if you're having all these guys you know, pitching their arms off, then like if everyone's burnt out, no one's burnt out at the same time. Do you get what I'm saying? That definitely makes me say I pass my best before date. <laughs> Because I don't know what I want to say, good, bad, or ugly about that. Do you know what I mean? Sure. I'm just saying this. We're going to conclude on this note. Okay? My respect for Theo Epstein is insane. I love listening to that I talk about baseball because you can hear the passion in his voice and the compassion wanting making the game better. But. Arguably the greatest baseball executive of all time. But. And at the house that happens, we know nothing good comes after. But. <laughs> And I'm saying, I'm going to wait to see because the jury is out. We're going to have to wait another two or three years and even looking at the um, stats today to determine whether or not the complete takeover of analytics in the Theo Epstein, Billy Bean, and that Luciani guy who started in San Diego. He's mm-hmm. got to be also a guy. I don't know if I say the names properly. I think he's died recently. God bless his soul. As opposed to um, letting the game go and see what's going to happen based on a human and aesthetic base. You know what I mean? Sure. So we're going to see whether or not Theo is going to do it. What do you say? What are you expecting? What do you think of the difference in this year? Is Do you think that the game is the product's a little better this year? It's faster, faster, uh, more good. base stealing. Faster. I, I'm getting scared about this track meet now. <laughs> it's just because it, it's, it's like softball. Like I'm saying, sometimes I look out there, the guy just runs. It's like, you know, in softball, you're allowed yeah, to do that. Yeah. Some tournaments you can run, you can throw the guy out. As soon as you put your arm in, you run. And that, that kind of makes me go, because you know, another thing I don't like, is they're saying they can't do it, is that if a pitcher wants to throw over to first base 27 times, let him throw over there 27 yeah. times. I don't like that aspect of the yeah, game either. I'm not a big fan of that either. But, I mean, but there, there there can always be ways to tweak the rules. I mean, we got into that with the NFL. They do that every season, right? Well, I'm hoping they tweak that, they tweak that one too. And here's another one I want to do is that I don't necessarily believe that I should have to let my pitcher stay out there for three hitters. Yeah, I had trouble with that one, too. I'm still having trouble with that one. You know what I mean? I forget what game it was the other night. I was watching MLB. I forget where it was. It was Texas and somebody. Maybe it was Texas and Philly. Anyway, when the guy came up, he was a he was a lefty, and he was trying to get out lefties. And a big right-handed guy came up, and he threw one in the groove zone, and the guy smacked it out of the park. And the first thing the announcer said, you know, if this was two years ago, that guy would have been yanked. <laughs> he would never have faced that batter oh, due sure. to this, right? So I'm saying that that takes away from the strategies that managers want to use. Once again, um, what is it? Um, decided by analytics. You know what I mean? Sure. So um, God bless the OFC. We're going to give him a couple more years. Well, maybe not. We should know of this year now to decide whether or not the product of baseball is going to get better. Because guess what? We both love baseball. Absolutely. You know what I mean? We both love baseball, and we want the quality of the game to stay the same or maybe even get even better. We're having some good years there, but that's for our regular show we're going to talk about because uh, the pennant races are pretty good this year. Some teams are rising up, and um, I'm seeing a lot more. Um, um, but then again, as like I said, that's because sometimes they got to leave the pitcher in for three batters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it changes the game. Simber the other night when we got to the eighth inning when they brought him in and he's not a short inning guy. 
What happened? He would have faced one batter with that Scroogey freaking throwing motion of his or two. Yeah. By the time the third comes up, that's not his time. And guess what happened? He got raked. But, you know, they, they did leave him out for more three anyway, so maybe it being a little bit redundant. But in any event, I'm putting it on the, on the wall as Theo Epstein once again. Great executive, great guy for putting baseball, but he's also put some huge scars on it that I don't know if he's ever going to make the game better. Simple as that. We'll see. You know what I mean? Which gets us to our third character. You know who that is, correct? <laughs> Mr. Steph Curry. The is man it? who changed the, the way the three-pointer is used, for better or for worse. Not only in the NBA, but on the playground as well. Oh, my God. So I like to say this about Steph Curry. He's like the Clint Eastwood movie. Good, bad, and ugly. Yes. It's all of that. Don't you agree? The best and worst of basketball. Okay, so in, in, in what respects? Okay, I want to look at it this way. Back in the day, and we've said it here, if you just look at the top 10, that we did just before the show, the top 10 all-time three-point scores, guys that, that um, completed the most three-point plays, are all from this century. Yes. <laughs> Notably, a lot of them now are in the era of Steph Curry, who's now been in the league, what, 13 years? Yeah, 2009 he was drafted. Whatever yeah. the case may be. So now a lot of the top 10 have come in his era, including Clay Thomas. Clay Damian Thompson. L Clay Thompson. Damian Lillard. James Harden. Kyle Lowry. Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver. Yep. You know what I mean? That's all now. So what I'm saying is, and we did a show about this many times before, and I've always bringing it up, is when you say the great one. That's because he's a great one, and there's not a next one. Mm -hmm. There's only one, and that's what I'm saying. The beauty of Steph Curry's game, I'm not going to deny. He did change the game. I think he's a great player. I love his style. He's got one of the best handles in the league, and now, later in his career, he's a much better defensive player than he ever was. Oh, yeah. You know, when he was younger, a little thinner, getting knocked around. But Steph Curry can make shots. Not everybody in the league can make these shots. Oh, yeah. He's almost 43% from three for his career. Okay, so then what ends up happening is you get some of the worst-looking games I've ever seen in the history of my life, including which I've alluded to you before, some of the worst Game 7s. And don't we love Game 7s? We're supposed to as sports fans. Uh, you got it. The, some of the worst Game 7s I've ever seen in my life have been in the NBA. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Look at Boston even this year. Like, what are they doing? Like, I like the old-school coaches. Like, if you threw up five, okay, so you got hot. You're, you're dropping the three. You're dropping the three. It's going to be good. When you miss, you should be three for 18. I don't no. want to see three for no. 18 basketball. It wasn't like that in the 90s and early 2000s. If you sat, you got, you got your ass sat down on the bench. Don't you agree? Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, uh, 90s, early 2000s, like even the best teams in the league at making threes were making like, what, 600, 700 per season? That was it? Yeah. Now what are they making? Thousand, over a thousand. Over a thousand. But look at the percentage and look what it's done to the flow of the game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now let's look at the um, last year, Milwaukee, Boston. I think that's the worst game seven I've ever seen in my life. Okay. What was the shooting? At one point it was four for 20 something from three for Boston. And it was three for 18 or 28 oh, yeah. for, both for both teams. Oh, it was just so bad. So. I thought that uh, Miami got away from it a bit this year, and I say that Denver won more this year is because Denver can shoot the three. But when they didn't shoot the three, what did they do? 
Bang it inside. Oh, because inside is going to make it. I'm still saying that I would rather have um, mid-range jumpers shooting 60 to 70% than a bunch of guys shooting three at 25, 30%. Oh yeah, for sure. You know I, I would take that. But like a lot, a lot of the league's best three-point shooters, though, they're like up uh, into like the mid-thirties. These guys, though. Okay, so what ends up happening is you keep on going because you try to come back. Because what happens to the aesthetic of the game is this: teams get behind, then they try to throw one up. Team races down, gets one in transition. You try to throw one up, you miss again. You come down in transition, the other team makes it. All of a sudden, you go from a three-point lead to a 13, 18-point lead because yeah. someone's shooting so badly. So why doesn't someone say stop shooting? Work the ball inside, look for a layup, hit somebody that's reasonably big in the front court, play a little pick and no roll. More big men. The Joker's a big man. Uh, he's the unicorn for a reason, though. He's a big man. Uh, what's his name? Um, the the guy, um, Przinski. Przingis. Przingis. Ah, but he's kind of a bitch, though. Well, he's always been a bitch, but he's still a big man. Sure, but he doesn't uh, play that hard bruising game. Okay, and neither does Aiton. Aiton's a big man. Yeah. Um, I heard they're going to ship him out of town. Let's look around the league. There's some big men. It's well, Not many, it, though. How is it rule has changed is because everybody's throwing up the three, so then you have to have the switch coverage on defense. And they say, yeah. does a big man get out there fast enough? So make him a little smaller and a little quicker, and then he can help the cover on the perimeter. Is that how the game has evolved, I guess? Oh, 100%. Yeah, defensive switching is, is just so important now. you got to have guys that are kind of malleable in a way, right? Is that why we've seen Kyle Lowry on uh, the Joker a few times on the switches? <laughs> you know what I mean? I and, mean, we and, saw a little bit of that in Toronto, too. Yeah, but you know what? The thing is, it's, it's depending on who your player are. Kyle Lowry is so tenacious, freaking defensively, that he can upset a guy that size just by his hand, feet, and Oh, yeah. I'll give him that. Yeah. You know, with the hand, feet, moving. But if you're going three for 18, I like how Florida, I mean, um, Miami played in the rounds before this. When they weren't sinking their three, what did they do? They went inside and looked for those short jumpers from uh, uh, Bam, Jimmy Butler. Um, oh, who am I missing? Uh, the kid that's undrafted. Khalid Martin. <laughs> Khalid, okay, but Martin, that really showed up, the guy from uh, Nevada. When they were doing that, like Spolster said, go inside, get the ball here and take a shot. And what happened when they were winning because they, they had more points in the paint. Yeah. And that made a difference in the game. Now, what happened with those winning Golden State teams was what? Sorry, can you repeat that? What, when those Golden State teams were winning, what was going on? Oh, man. Well, it was a lot of three-point shooting. They didn't call them the Splash Brothers for nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And here's what happens. Yeah, not exactly that inside-out uh, <laughs> playbook. Is there nothing better than looking at it when teams are bombing threes? We've mentioned this before, and they're going in. Oh, it's, it's, it's a spectacle. Exactly. The thing is, the, the reason we call it a spectacle is because it doesn't happen all the time. It's yes. a spectacle, okay? Every night in the NBA, they try to create a spectacle. <laughs> Three for 18. Yeah, they can't all be they can't all be gold nuggets. Sometimes uh, you know you get a lump of coal. So why don't you do that then? Why don't they change the game? Why aren't they coaching? Because then they start chasing the three. When they chase the three, they get down. The game gets ugly, and I don't want to watch it. Well, anymore. the problem is, it's people realize just simple math. Three is bigger than two, and the problem is, if that team, if the other team is making their three point shots, you're screwed if you're not even trying to take them. So is it a make or miss league? 
It 100% is. Okay, well, there's a lot of experts that are trying to say, don't call it a make-or-miss league. How are we going to be like that? Tim Legler said it best. J.J. Reddick, these guys are the big analysts on the game now. Even um, Van Gundy on his things is trying to get away from, oh, teams are getting away from the make-or-miss thing. Mark Jackson says, please, stop yeah. it. You know what <laughs> I mean? with Mark Jackson I'm on with Mark Jackson, too, but I remember they were trying to say, well, you know, they're trying to do it. Mark Jackson yeah. going, no, 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 here it is. So, how did that, so what does that do? That takes away from the aesthetic of the game. Because there's only one Steph Curry, and Steph oh, Curry can bomb. So then you got these guys like Trey Young, who are supposed to be the next Steph Curry, and they're not. Luka Doncic. Uh, yeah, Luka is. I, I I wouldn't exactly put him in that category. Trey Young was the one who was more kind of put forward as the next Steph Curry, right? Buddy Heald, I mean, maybe it was more the owner of Sacramento kind of putting that title on him. But. Well, you got to get, it's funny because Buddy Heald's already in what, the top 25 already in three-point shooting made. Oh, yeah. All time. And the guy's only played, what, six, seven years? Yeah, he's number, what, 29. He's only played 548 games. Unreal. <laughs> okay, so what does that mean? You're bombing away. So good nights when they're winning and, and good nights when they're not. Yeah. And I'm saying that that's why I'm trying to get people to understand this. It's no slight against Steph Curry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Don't you think he is, is he a top 10 player of all time? Or is he, let's put him at number 10. Do you think he's there yet? Uh, I mean, it's hard to argue. You know, he's got the MVPs, the finals MVP now, too. He finally got that one last year. Four rings. Four, yeah, four championships. He doesn't Two have, MVPs. Yeah, he doesn't have an Olympic gold medal, but who cares? Yeah, like, but he never got the opportunity. Was he on the team yet? And then they uh, Well, he could have gone to Rio, but I think he was just like, screw that. I don't want to. No, he had, he had some nag- nagging injuries. Oh, nagging injuries. Come on. Well, he did. Because he, he came out there, he wasn't at wrist or a shoulder or something. Because then when he came back that season, it was the first time he looked bigger because he rehabbed in the gym more to build up his body so he wouldn't get yeah. banged up. So maybe we shouldn't blame it on Steph Curry. Maybe we should blame it on the coaches who don't sit those players down when they're missing shots. In the old days, yeah. they did that. The coaches sat your ass down. You took one many shot. Um George Carl, the old coach for Denver, he was the number one I would see that. You missed three shots in a row, and you took a fourth one, especially outside the three? Yo ass getting pine. And I agree with that, because why yeah. do you got to keep jacking it up? No, I'm glad you went there, because Steph Curry, like, it's really unfair to put this on him, because he was just, you know, playing his best game. Uh, that's true. You know? And he's so good. Oh, yeah. He's so good. And when he's on, and, like, you know, sometimes, like, uh, I know they were saying old coaches said that, if you went back to, say, 1990, mm-hmm. and you took a couple shots that Steph Curry was attempting, you wouldn't get off the bench. <laughs> Especially playing, uh, well, you're, you're, well, you're saying from, like, a coaching perspective? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And they say, no, 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 what are you doing? Well, it was they a different say, game back then. No, but that's what I'm saying. That's the, the good, the bad, the ugly about Steph Curry. Why shouldn't he launch him from there when he's sinking him? Yeah. But why not? Like from half court at the logo? Okay, so you gotta Keep start, going. You gotta start defending that guy when he steps over half. Yeah. Okay. That's- Which we see like more and more in the NBA. We're seeing the kind of full court press, right? Yeah, because uh, especially from the guards. Yeah, uh, but but you know what it is? It's um, and it, you know what? It's to keep everybody honest. Okay. Oh yeah. From yep. a shooting point of view, so don't go into the paint. Take your shot. Like if you like a lot of the, you know what I mean? They say when the shots are in rhythm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The more shots are, t- are in rhythm. Don't you agree? Yeah, you don't want to be forcing them up. <laughs> How many games do you see them force them up? It, uh, oh, I mean, this is something as a Raptors game fan. Seven, that- game seven right this year, Miami and Boston. Mm-hmm. What was Boston doing? 
Forcing them up. Forcing them oh, up. No, Boston's got a definition of a make-or-miss team in this league. Okay, and but they've got the presence to own the paint. They got Al Horford. They've got um, Al Horford. They've got um, Jason Tatum. They got Jalen Williams. Williams. Um, what's the other guy? I'm missing one. It doesn't matter. I'm, but you know what I'm saying yeah. on the inside there. So, anyways, I I'm really hoping that there's a change in the styling and that coaches say, let's go inside out. And I think one of the key could be this Wabinyama kid mm-hmm. coming over because if this kid starts pulling up at the three and dropping him at seven foot, whatever he is, he's going to be like the Otani of basketball oh, yeah. because he'll be doing both things that nobody does. Shaq wasn't. Shaq could make a three. Shaq wasn't allowed to launch in threes. Well, he made one in his entire career. Is it one? Is that what yeah. it is? Okay, all right. So that that's what I'm talking about. Like, who's going to be firing threes up? You yeah. know what I mean? And even, even the Joker can shoot a three, though. But oh, he, sure. He's, but he, he's a completely an, an, an anomaly. My thing is, okay, we don't want to uh, we don't want to be dissing Steph Curry. But I really, really do believe that. I wish that people would take a look at the game, especially from a coaching point of view, and say, can we play inside and just settle launching the ball? Because what it does is made the game so ugly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I've seen it. You know I've rallied on that how many times. How bad the games are in the NBA this year. Some of the playoff games, they were so bad. And the blowouts and the missing and the shooting percentages. Come on. You know what I mean? You know who's the team to really to blame for this, I think. The Houston Rockets, James Harden days. James Harden, yeah, those the, um, uh, the I'm blanking on the GM's name now. He's now in Philadelphia. Oh, uh, Morley. Morley, yeah. Is it Morley? Yeah, yeah. But he let him go. Morley. Morley, yeah, yeah, Morley. He let him go though. Like you know, he said let him go, and he had Chris Paul directing traffic for a couple seasons there. They came close though. There was one year where I mean, they were one game away. Didn't maybe maybe a little bit of uh, better help from health from Chris Paul. They. They're in the finals and winning a championship against the Cavaliers, but we'll never know. They were up 3-2 on the eventual champions, remember? I remember. It it was quite a thing, because I was never a Harden fan, because when Harden was doing the same thing, it was either a make or miss league. Anyways, we don't want to go on and on and beat a dead horse about this, but our real point is this. When you're watching the game out there, we're watching this not only for the competitive value, but the fact that we love the game, correct? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yes, and there's just one more name I want to add to this list about things that have ruined their own games. Okay. And that this is more of an organization than a person. I want to hear this. We knew it was coming. FIFA. (laughs) FIFA has been maybe the dirtiest sports organization since their inception. Things got really bad, though, come the 60s. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, no. That's what it really bad because that, that was almost like old school mafia shit going on oh, back yeah. then, you know? Where, yeah. like, basically, it all kind of started when they took power away. Like, it would be each representative for the longest time. It was each representative from each country would vote on who would get the World Cup. But then all of a sudden it became, oh, just these 24 guys. And it's just like, oh, you bribe a few of them, you know, it's enough to swing the vote, right? Every time. Oh, yeah. And, it's, Every- it, and things really hit ahead in... Uh, when it was Russia Qatar winning on the same day, their two bids won on the same day. <laughs> That's rotten. Oh yeah, especially That's just pure rotten. Qatar, Come on. Qatar had one arena ready to go at the one stadium that would have been World Cup ready at the time. The other like 
23 were built with all this, you know, uh, illegal or not. Well, I guess it wasn't illegal for them, but people died. Yeah, yeah. People died. And, and, and you know what they're saying now? Some of those facilities aren't even used. Oh, that was, everyone knew that from the start. That's yeah. But it's it just it's just so sad. That's FIFA for you, though. Yeah. Money first. Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, it's affected the on-field product as well, which is probably the worst thing of all. So a lot of people point to the 2002 World Cup, the Japan-South Korea one. Two of the most controversial games in FIFA history. So there was the round of 16 game against Italy, where Italy had a clean goal disallowed. Totti given a red card for a non-existent dive, uh, while South Korea was just getting away with murder. Well, because why? Oh, because they were hosting. The fix was in. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and then their next game against Spain. Spain had two good goals disallowed. Yeah. And where does but, but but South Korea got knocked out in the round of sixteen anyway, though, right? No, no. So the, they beat Italy round of sixteen. They beat Spain in the quarters. They lost in the semis to. I can't remember if it was Brazil or Germany, but oh, they, yeah, one lo- they lost to one of those two teams. Well, they had to because that team were infinitely better. I remember that too. They, they when the South Korea got not far, you were shaking your head. <laughs> Come on, you're going, really? South Korea, I know. Hey, South Korea, they, come on. And where have they been since then? Nah, just next to nowhere. Okay, so that's what I mean. Like, that's why I don't think that ever changed in soccer, though. I think that's an embedded in the culture. That's the way it's going to go. That's the way it's going to yeah. be. I mean, you look at stuff like Calciopoli, too, the infamous uh, Juventus uh, scandal where they were bribing oh, refs, hand-picking refs, refs for oh, games, oh. and then manipulated the, the media as well because um, – but he was on it. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? What did they do? Their penalty was they had to go down a division. They were back a year later, right? Yeah. Slapping the wrist? <laughs> I mean, what else were you going to do, though? It's Juventus. They, they're they like one of the soccer royalties in Italy, right? In the world. When yeah, you talk you about, like, okay, let's put it this way. I'm not the biggest soccer fan in the world, buddy. But guess what? I knew who uh, Juventus of Turin was. Yeah. You know what I mean? I knew who Real Madrid was. I knew who Barcelona. I knew who, like, uh, what was that? Baynard, what was that? Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich, Manchester United. You just knew yeah. those things were there. So I don't know. You think was that corrupt in? Um, you think was that corrupt in England? Oh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff we don't know about there. Because sometimes these countries would act all righteous when they're pointing the finger. And yeah. I always thought you're all in the same bed. It's only 24 of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, how can you say one thing and then do another? Well, I mean, I guess you can argue, though, that England got screwed by uh, that World Cup bid. Because <laughs> they had an infinitely better World Cup bid than Russia did. And not only that, they had the facilities ready to go. There you go. You know, they're, they're moving around and stuff World like that. World-class facilities. World-class facilities, yes. You know what I mean? Because it was a home of soccer or whatever. Oh, I, I agree. So, like, I mean, when you come to think of it, and it's a good way as we uh, – get towards the end of this is to say like the other we were talking about individuals Mm -hmm. who affected the structure play and and um the way we look at the game but fifa is a whole nother level of chicanery corruption insanity you know what i mean yeah while uh have along was kind of the one that kind of got things started there he was just a straight like i'm taking bribes president (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we went on to Seth Blatter, who became more of, uh, you know, whatever it is. Where was he from? 
He is Swiss. Oh right, that, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. And then head of, where the head of FIFA is, by oh, the way. Oh, well, that, that's all money, anyways. I'm just. Saying. It made it easier for them to hide. Some yes, things. exactly. And, that's sad. Yeah, and Sepp Blatter was a less of a. I'm taking bribes, president, and more of a anything to stay in power, president. He was there for a while too, wasn't he? Uh, from n- 17 years, 122 days in wow. power that's until he was impeached. Yeah, it was, yeah, his ass was impeached. <laughs> he was almost tired and feathered by yeah. then. But you know what I mean? But does he think it matter? I, I wonder where he's living today. Oh, he's probably he's, doing he's, well like, for like, himself. He's not, he's not eating rice. I figure that much. Oh, he's only eating the rice he wants to eat, so to speak. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I just think it's terrible because ultimately what I'm trying to say is, and the point of this show is being when we mention the three people and now it's FIFA is this. Not only do we have to contend with the way that gambling affects the games all the time and analytics affects the game all the time, what really bothers me is I watch the games for the competitive nature of yes. it. And this is where I'm saying all these elements affects the competitive nature of the game. If the referees are being picked by Juventus for Turin of this game this afternoon... I think that might take a level of competitiveness away from the competition, don't oh, you I think? I think so too. Oh, oh. Now we kind of alluded to this before, but where is the NFL in all this? The NFL is the greatest monolith run in the world today. The fact that it's North American is the only reason why it's not the biggest sport in the world because people in Africa don't have helmets. And goalposts. That's right. You know what I mean? People in uh, Uruguay and those places haven't figured it out yet because, basically, hey, listen, football is moving its way to where two games in. Look, at the, uh, Jacksonville is going to be staying. Where is it? In England or is it uh, Germany for two games this year? Yeah. They're back to back. So that just tells you the expanse of it, which I think is more due to gambling, don't you? Uh, maybe. I, I wouldn't doubt it. But what football has done is every year they have not they, – they, they are proactive, okay, mm-hmm. in this respect. I'm a Detroit Lion guy. Did you ever see Night Train Lane? <laughs> Night Train Lane? He had the famous clothesline. Oh. You can't, they had to take that out of the game. Oh, for sure. Okay, so they realized that's not working. They took it out of the game. Um, Pancaking quarterbacks. <laughs> that's the value <laughs> that's commodity. They said, yeah. no, no, you can't do that. Um, the year-to-year adjustments is what you're getting to. Yes, because they realize that it's going to affect their, pro- their, their, their bottom line from a aesthetic point of view, but not only that, from a scoring point of view. Yes. You know what I mean? Because I remember, um, like, way back in the day when you had uh, Deacon Jones and um, the, the, the fearsome foursomes on the Rams and the purple people eaters mm-hmm. on uh, uh, the, the Minnesota Vikings, those, the, the 85 Bears defense and stuff like that. These just killed you. Oh, yeah. These guys just murdered you. And to a point where they had to do things like the Mel Blunt rule. You know, they're checking guys on the outside. They were oh, yeah. holding on them and stuff like that. I think that what happens is that's why I made football better because when they recognized the problem, they had, they rectified it as quick as they could. Mm-hmm. And they were one of the first ones that went and got on the bandwagon for um, instant replay. 
Oh, yeah. They affected yep. every league because they were going to do Because we're watching the game, and you see something going, ah, come on, really? Yeah. You can't do that? So they went to it, and what did that do? That spread to every sport. Now, baseball, basketball, hockey, yep. all have what? Instant replay, Instant replay. review. Re- because who started it? The NFL. There. That's why they're the best league in the year. Do we ever talk about the change of their product as much? No, we don't. It's because well, kind of expected. <laughs> I think it's more because of the gambling. You know what I mean? Because everyone, it's a point spread. Sure, but I mean, uh, the smart fans, though, they know like it's, uh, there's always going to be like little tweaks and whatever, right? I'm glad that they did it all the time. Yeah. Like something as simple as like, you know, the famous thing we talk about here, because we're in, uh, we're in Chewy's Barn Grill, which is the, uh, the Oklahoma, the Las Vegas Raiders. The famous Lester Hayes, Fred Blitnikoff smearing themselves in... Stick them. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and then the NFL took a look and said, no, no, no. We can't have that. And they just took it away. You know what I'm saying? We can't have guys being clotheslined. We can't have people hitting people on the back of the knees like the year Brady got hurt. Yep. You know, those blindside stuff like that. So it's very cool that um, football is proactive. Yes. You know what I mean? And it's gonna. It, it's not going to change. I say, I, I'm saying in your lifetime, football will be the biggest sport in the world. Okay. No, nah, never. No, soccer can't be beat. No. <laughs> soccer can't. What am I saying? It can't be beat because it's played in the corner of the world where the people never even know what a, what a football helmet is. Sure. But everyone's got a, got a shorts and a ball. Yeah. Agreed? Yeah. And that kind of reminds me of, uh, I guess, Formula One where, like, it's it's always been the same thing. You know, it's just, you know, fastest car wins, you know? We're There's like, usually that. just one team that's, you know, running circles around the other ones, you know? Then get better. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And they get better. And that's why I love the competitive nature yeah. of it. And that's why sometimes I wish it was like, um, you know, ultimately as we, as we approach the end of this show, ultimately is this. All of these people devise ways to do what? Win. Win. Whether we liked it or not, whether or not it took away from the aesthetic of the game, whether it made things more ugly... Them people got rings. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So they did something right. In, 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 they're in the history books. I don't know if I like the way that it looks, but when you get the ring, you get you did something right. Yeah. Agreed? And you know what? Maybe you need people to you know, do a little something a little bit shitty so we can learn from that and learn what to do in the future. You think so? I think so. So you think maybe, yeah, you know, you got to make mistakes. You got to, not necessarily mistakes, but you got to, uh, if if you don't deviate from the norm, nothing will ever change. Exactly. I will, I will accept that. Okay, you got a good point there. And let's end it this way then. Maybe Jock Lemaire was looking for that kind of a change. Deviate from the norm or we won't get better. Uh, that's exactly what he said, basically, about going to Switzerland. There you go. Theo Epstein said what? I'm going to find a way to make the two biggest droughts in baseball end, and I'm going to yep. do it. And what did he do? He won. Multiple times. Steph Curry, what did he do? He won championships and MVPs. Multiple yep. times. So when you're listening to this show, um, we're going to do more topics later. We'd like to put it out there. I really, I really enjoyed this show, by the way. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, yes, I do. I really enjoyed it. In fact, the fact, if you're really listening to what we are saying is, go back and study your history and take a look at how the games have changed. And like I said, I'm getting to be the, um, what do you call it, get off your lawn guy. <laughs> yeah. 
Honorable mention to uh, NASCAR for screwing up their system by implementing their stupid playoff system, which I still don't understand how that flies with the fans. But I don't even understand how they figure out the playoff system with that. I'm going, what? How do you have playoffs in freaking? You just got to beat this guy, to, and like it's like so like it's a race in a race. I, it's it's stupid. Just keep the the simple point system. I agree with it, and, and and as long as you got the tide on the front of your hood, I guess that makes it. Whatever. I don't know. Anyways, Mr. Milani, I thoroughly enjoyed this show. I'm glad that we could take a look at the history of sports, why we look at it, and where it's going to get better for worse. Is there anything you have to say before we close? That's just about it. That's good. So you'll find us all the time. You know where we're out there? You know where we find us, bro? So you can find us. We are, of course, the house that happens. Yes. You can find us on most places right now where... You could find uh, your podcast. Just give me one second, please. My sister was happy that we're on Spotify. Yes, we are indeed she, on Spotify. She was very happy because she went to Spotify and said, I found you guys. That's so cool. She's happy to hear our show, by the way. So we are on Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Samsung, Podchaser, and Boomplay. I'm not sure what boom play. I'm, I'm not sure what it there. is either, but we're there. Um, and then, of course, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And what am I missing? Facebook, Nothing. Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Most importantly of all, we want to thank you very much for listening. We've been out with 50-plus shows. We're going to expand what we want to do. And everybody out there, let's give us comments, encouragement, and say keep this is going. We, can, we, can, we appreciate it immensely. Agreed? Agreed. On that note, my name is Cruz. And I'm Andrew Milani. And this is the house that happens. And remember, we keep the vibe alive.